Hebrews 7, starting in, in verse 20. And it is not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is eternal, it is precious, it is life-giving. Use the reading and the preaching of your word now to feed and nourish the souls of your sheep. And if anyone would be among us this morning who has not looked to Christ in faith, use the proclamation of your gospel to awaken their souls, to bring them new life and turn to Christ. Father, we pray this in his name. Amen. Throughout uh, chapter 7, the book of Hebrews, the author is, is making this case that Jesus is a superior or a great high priest. And he's continuing to make that case in our passage this morning. As I said last week, this is all building up to a climax that the author is, is going to uh, get to here in just a few weeks. Before we look at our passage this morning, I thought maybe it would be helpful for us to be reminded of why we as created human beings, need any sort of priest at all? Why is this idea of Jesus being our great high priest so important? Why does it matter that Jesus holds the office of a priest? And the simple answer, of course, is this. It's because God is holy and we are sinners. And that's a huge problem for us. It's probably, uh, it's a problem for us because he who is holy cannot possibly have fellowship with one who is not holy. His holiness, his otherness, his transcendence, his purity is so absolute. It's so essential to who he is as God. His holiness is the core of his being, and it's an uncompromising purity that will not tolerate anything impure or unholy in its presence. And we, what are we as humans in our natural state? We are unholy. We are filthy. We are stained. We are defiled creatures who live lives of constant rebellion against God. And yet, God, in his mercy and grace, and his love for us, his people, instead of casting us away or burning us up in the all-consuming fire of his wrath, he actually desires to commune and have fellowship with us. He shows us his steadfast love, and he makes a promise, an everlasting covenant, that he will be our God we will be his people and his dwelling place will be among us forever. But the problem of sin still remains. And we realize that if we are to have fellowship with the Holy God, if we who are not holy 
are to commune with him who is holy, we need a mediator. We need a go-between. We need someone to represent us before the holy God. And that's what priests do. They serve as representatives. They serve as mediators. They intercede on behalf of the people they represent. That's what we need. Actually, we need more than a priest. We need a great high priest. Now, God in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, gave to his people priests to represent them. He appointed the tribe of Levi to be a priestly tribe. He appointed to them uh, the, the role or the responsibility of being a priestly people who would stand as mediators between the people of Israel and the, and the Lord. And out of the tribe of Levi, God appointed the household of Aaron, one family to serve as high priest, a priest who once a year would cross through the barrier that separated the outer sanctuary and the tabernacle or the temple and enter into the Holy of Holies, a sanctuary which represented the heavenly throne room of God and offer up an atoning sacrifice for his own sins and the sins of his family and a sacrifice for the sins of the entire nation of Israel. God provided a mediator in the Old Testament in the high priest so that his people could approach him. But even still, the old covenant people of God could not approach God completely and perfectly. Now, the original audience, and I, I know I say this every week, the, the original audience of the book of Hebrews were early Jewish Christians. And the reason I remind us of this every week is because context, when we read the Bible, realizing the context of any given passage of Scripture is so important, so uh, vital to us properly understanding the Word of God. So many bad sermons have been preached. So many bad interpretations of the Word of God have been reached because the context of any given passage was not considered. And so I do take the time every week to remind us all of the original context of this book of Hebrews. Uh, my pastor back in Pennsylvania used to say that a text without a context is nothing more than a con. So it's so important that we remember the context of the book of Hebrews, written to early Jewish Christians, Jews who came to see and believe that Jesus Christ was the long-promised Messiah, the fulfillment of all that the law and the prophets spoke about. And yet, this, er this early Jewish church is struggling, struggling with the idea of abandoning Christ and returning to the temple, which still stood in Jerusalem at that time, uh, they were struggling with abandoning Christ, returning to the temple, and having the earthly high priest, the Levitical high priest, offer sacrifices on their behalf. And this is the main concern for the author of Hebrews. He is writing this book to urge those Jewish Christians to not abandon Christ. Do not turn away from him and return to temple worship because all that belonged to the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices, all of it has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews, the author introduced first this idea that Jesus is the better high priest, the great high priest. And just if you remember, if you were with us, just as he was about to get into the thick of that argument, he hits the brakes 
and he had to deal with two pressing issues that made it difficult for his original audience to understand the idea of Jesus being the great high priest. The first issue that he had to deal with was the fact that he feared that congregation was becoming dull of hearing. It was spiritual immaturity. He said, you should be ready for the meat and you're still feeding on the milk. You should be ready to move into the deeps and you're still waiting in the shallows. And so he urged them to have a passion and a desire to grow in their doctrinal and theological understanding, to move beyond the shallows and into the deeps of the word of God. The second issue he had to deal with then was the issue of apostasy. Uh, he had to deal with the issue of them being tempted to turn away from Christ, to go back to the types and shadows. And there in chapter 6, he deals with the real eternal dangers of what would happen if they would abandon Jesus Christ. But then in chapter 7, he resumes his discussion, his argument that we should not turn away from Christ because he is the great high priest. And he builds his case for Christ's high priesthood by making these points. First, in verses 1 through 10, the author shows us how it is that Jesus occupies a better priesthood. And his point here is that Jesus is not a high priest after the Levitical line of priests, but rather he is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was this mysterious kingly priest who appears out of nowhere in Genesis 14, this figure who blesses Abraham and to whom Abraham pays tithes. It's after or it's in the order of Melchizedek that Jesus is the great high priest. And he goes on to show how Melchizedek's priesthood was greater than the Levitical priesthood. That's what verses 1 through 10 of chapter 7 talk about. Secondly, then in verses 11 through 19, the author of Hebrews shows us how Christ's priesthood is an effectual priesthood. That's what we talked about last week. He shows how the Levitical priesthood of the old covenant was unable to gain our perfection, unable to make us complete, unable to gain our true access to God, unable to give us what we truly need to have communion and fellowship with God. Primarily, it was unable to give us the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of our hearts. But the author of Hebrews says that is exactly what Jesus Christ in his Melchizedekan high priesthood accomplishes for all who look to him in repentance and faith. Christ perfects us. He represents us before the throne of God. And because of this, we have gained true and complete access to the Holy God. Well, now in our passage this morning, the author makes his third point about Christ's high priesthood by showing us in this text that unlike the Levitical priesthood, Christ's high priesthood is a permanent priesthood. And there are two points in our text this morning which makes the author's point. First, in verses 20 and 21, the author of Hebrews shows us the grounds upon which Christ's priesthood is permanent. What is the foundation of Christ's permanent priesthood? Look at these verses with me again. 
starting in verse 20 of chapter 7. It was not without an oath. Now, what's he talking about? What was with, what was not without an oath? He's talking about Christ's priesthood. And he says, it was, it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one, meaning Jesus Christ, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Now what the author is doing here is once again comparing and contrasting the Levitical priesthood with the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. And look at what he says. He says that the Levitical priesthood, or those who formerly became priests, they were made priests without an oath. What does he mean by that? He's simply referring to the law of the Old Covenant. Exodus 28, for example, which made one a priest simply based on genealogical descent. If you were a male in the tribe of Levi, then you could serve as a priest. Likewise, if you were a male in the household of Aaron, you were able to serve as high priest. There was no divine oath when you were made a priest. You were simply made a priest due to the given law of God in the Old Testament. But the Melchizedekan priesthood, Christ's priesthood, was established by a divine oath. God swore to himself that the Messiah, that Christ, would be made a priest forever. The author makes this point by quoting Psalm 104, verse 10. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Now, this is not the first time Hebrews references a divine oath. Chapter 6, verses 16 through 20, we talked about this. The author speaks of God swearing an oath to Father Abraham to provide a more shall sure foundation for the covenant promises that he was going to give to Abraham. And when I preached on the passage, I talked a little bit about why God swears an oath. You know, swearing an, an oath is something that we, as unreliable, unfaithful humans do to give more credential to our words. And Hebrews talks about this in chapter 6. Men swear to a higher power, so as to add surety to our promises and vows. God, however, has no higher power upon which to swear. So he swears to himself. But of course, this is not something God has to do, right? If God has promised something, he will do it. His word is sure. He is completely faithful and trustworthy. So if that's true, why did God swear an oath first to Abraham and then to his own eternal son in Psalm 110 concerning his eternal or his permanent priesthood? Why did God swear an oath? The simple answer is, brothers and sisters, he did it for us. This is a great act of, con of, of God condescending to our level. This is God remembering that we are creatures made from the dust. This is God 
knowing our tendency to doubt even His perfectly faithful Word. This is God knowing our weakness. And so He swears an oath so that we as His children would have no doubt in in swearing this oath to His Son in Psalm 110. He is giving us, He is providing for us more surety, more peace, more assurance that we do indeed have a great high priest in Jesus Christ who ever lives to make intercession for us. So this is the author's first point this morning. Christ's high priesthood has its foundation upon the divine oath of God the Father. Secondly, then, the author goes on to talk about what this idea of a permanent priesthood means for us, what its implications are. And we see this in verses 22 through 25. The first thing we see is that in verse 22, because of the divine oath of a permanent priesthood, Christ is now the guarantor of a better covenant. This will become the author's main point in chapter 8, where the idea of a new covenant becomes the center focus. But he's introducing the idea now, and his overall point, I believe, is this. The old covenant, the the Levitical laws, the Levitical priesthood that was given in the old covenant could not accomplish salvation. It could not accomplish atonement. It could not give us the perfection we need to come into the presence of the Holy God. It could not do these things because its laws were external. Uh, the, the laws did not deal with our inner selves. The external priesthood and the laws could not give us new hearts. But now, in the new covenant, Christ secures, he guarantees through his priesthood, through his once offering up of his sacrifice upon the cross, through his ascension into heaven, through his presentation of his own blood to the Father as an atoning sacrifice, through his continued intercession on our behalf, Christ secures a new and a better hope. He has established and he guarantees a new covenant through which God's people have the completeness that we need. We have the perfect acceptance in the presence of the Holy God. And Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, does indeed renew and change our hearts. Christ, in the new covenant, does everything that the old covenant could not achieve. So what is the first benefit of Christ's permanent priesthood to us? It is that Christ has guaranteed forever this new and better covenant. Secondly, because Christ's priesthood is permanent, we know that it is an unchanging priesthood. This is expressed in verses 23 and 24. Again, in the old covenant, the priesthood was constantly changing. Now, what do I mean by that? The laws around the priesthood did not change. Their role and their purpose did not change. But the individual who held the priesthood changed. And why did they change? Verse 23 tells us 
because they died. Aaron died. So his son Eleazar became high priest. And Eleazar would go on to die. And his son would become high priest and so on. The Jewish historian Josephus counted something like 83 high priests that served from the time of Aaron until the destruction of the second temple in 70 AD. And the Talmud lists many, many more. 18 high priests during the time of the first temple. And the Talmud lists something like 300 or more high priests during the period of the second temple. And you never knew the quality of the high priest. You may be fortunate enough to live when a high priest was a godly, pious man who truly loved the Lord. But there were many high priests who were made high priests simply because of their physical descent and truly were not loving the Lord their God. They had no interest in truly serving the Lord. And therefore, the people of Israel never had assurance as to the quality of the person who was serving as their high priest. But brothers and sisters, that is not the case for those of us who are under Christ's great permanent high priesthood. Because his high priesthood is permanent, it means that not only does the office of his high priesthood never change, it also means that the high priest himself never changes. Christ's life, as the author of Hebrews says earlier in chapter 7, is indestructible. And what does this mean for us? It means we have a great high priest who unlike even the most godly Levitical priests, always did the will of his Father in heaven. We have a great high priest who never dies. We have a great high priest who is uncorruptible, who is perfectly holy, who is perfectly pure, who is like us in every way, yet without sin. And therefore, We have a permanent high priest who can perfectly represent us before the holy God. And he is able to do this work and does indeed do this work forever because, as the text says here this morning, he continues forever. And this, of course, leads us to the final point concerning the question of what does Christ's permanent priesthood mean for us? And that's found in verse 25. Because Christ's priesthood is a permanent, unchanging, never-ending priesthood, it means that Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Because Christ's priesthood is permanent, because he never rests from his work of making intercession for us, because he never stops representing us before God's throne. We are able to draw near to God and we know that Christ is able to save us to the uttermost. We, because of Christ's priesthood, are secure forever, brothers and sisters. That little word in the text this morning, verse 25, that little word, uttermost, It means completely. 
It means holy. It means forever and ever. It means totally. Christ, our permanent priest, is able to save us to the uttermost. Permanently, totally, forever and ever. We will never be lost. This is a great promise for us, brothers and sisters. A great surety. A great hope. This is why when I preached on, on Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 12, that passage that talks about falling away, that warning passage, I said, if you remember that sermon, I said that those verses cannot possibly mean that a true Christian can lose his salvation. That idea that a true believer in Christ could be lost, it would be completely contradictory to what the author of Hebrews is saying to us right here, right now, in chapter 7, verse 25. Our salvation, the salvation of all who look to Jesus Christ in faith, is totally and permanently accomplished. It's totally and permanently secured because we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, whoever lives to represent us, whoever lives to intercede for us, whoever lives to plead our case before the throne of God forever. Our salvation, our perfection, our completeness is secured by our permanent great high priest. 